Hello, 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 and welcome back to the eighth episode of Radio Nuclear. Today we're mixing things up a bit this holiday season. You may have noticed the jingle bells in the introduction music, and that's because today is our Christmas special. This week we've collected a couple of our favourite Christmassy science topics. But first, an update on the coronavirus since our last episode. Yes, so since our last episode, we've been lucky enough to receive some more information about the vaccine produced by Oxford University and the pharmaceutical company AstraZeneca. The phase three trial data has been published and it looks incredibly promising. Two treatment regimens were used and the first was with two similar doses, which gave an average efficacy of around 62.1%. However, they also performed another approach using a smaller dose to start and a normal dose to follow up with. And that gave an efficacy of around 90.1%, which is really, really promising, James. We've also heard that the UK government have committed to rolling out the Pfizer vaccine, which was announced to have around a 95% efficacy a few weeks ago. And that has actually been rolled out in this country already, with the first dose being given to Margaret Keenan in Coventry. So this is obviously another exciting thing to look forward to and should give us some hope to return to some semblance of normality next year in 2021. But with all of that said, we thought we'd give a nice little update on our coronavirus special and carry on with this week's episode. So for better or worse this year with COVID, primary schools are probably not going to be having their nativity plays. And for those of you amongst us who were possibly more dramatically challenged in their youth, you might have been assigned the non-speaking role of the star of Bethlehem. (laughs) But that did get us thinking, is there an actual astrological basis for the Star of Bethlehem? So the first thing that we need to work out is when would have appeared? So when was Jesus born? And we can actually get a fairly good idea of when this happened. So we're going to use King Herod because he appears in a lot of historical texts and we have a fairly good idea of when he died. And also, In terms of the appearance of the star, most astronomers and biblical scholars believe that it most likely occurred sometimes between the years 7 and 2 BC. Using the death of Herod, which is when it was said that the wise men came to visit him and then presumably went to find the baby Jesus, we've got ourselves a time frame to start looking for things in the night sky. Now, there are several different theories to possibly explain what the uh, star of Bethlehem was. Oh, really? What are those? So the first one is, it could have been a meteorite, but for those of you that have been lucky enough to see one, you'll know that they only last for a couple of seconds streaking across the night sky. Yeah, they're what we call a shooting star, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's just sort of bits of dust and ice burning up in the atmosphere. Although if you haven't seen one, they actually aren't that hard to find. So if you can go somewhere which is truly dark, so out of London... Um, You give a while for your eyes to adjust to the darkness and you wait about an hour. There's a really, really good chance that you'll see one. And actually, in times of uh, meteorite showers, there could be hundreds happening every hour. So it's probably not meteorites. Another theory that's been banded around is the idea that it could have been a comet. Now, some of you might have been lucky enough to see Neowise streaking across the night sky this year. But again, it's probably not what caused the star of Bethlehem. So we actually have really good historical records of when comets appear in the night sky. Because of their elliptical orbit that happens incredibly regularly, we actually know when they're going to appear in the future and we can go backwards. And there were no comets of historical significance that happen in this time frame. And also historically, comets were sort of seen as a bad omen. So, for example, uh, before the Battle of Hastings and Harold took an arrow in the eye, Halley's Comet was in the sky. Oh, wow. So... 
bad omen, probably not going to be the coming of the Messiah. Another theory is that it could have been a supernova. What's a supernova, James? So a supernova is caused by the deaths of stars. So when truly, truly massive stars die, the nuclear fusion runs away and it produces a huge amount of light energy. And you'll love this, Aiden, uh, radiation. Oh, love it. Love it. So they appear incredibly bright in the night sky. So bright, in fact, that actually people during the last supernova were able to, to read by the light of it. They were bright enough to cause shadows. Now, these supernovae, they appear, uh, well, the most massive ones, they appear in the night sky for about three weeks. So this does sound like it would be a pretty good fit for the Star of Bethlehem. But again, we actually have really good historical evidence of when these supernovae happen. And again, there weren't any in this time frame. So as nice as that theory is, it probably won't explain what the Star of Bethlehem was. So the theory that probably has the most legs is actually the Star of Bethlehem wasn't even a star. It was probably the conjuncture of planets. What's a conjuncture of planets, James? (laughs) Um, So conjuncture of planets is basically where from Earth, they appear to be so close to each other that it appears as one object. Oh, right. Um, Now, actually, there were quite a few conjunctures of planets uh, in this time frame. So one of these involved Mars, Jupiter and Saturn. And these appeared in the constellation of Pisces. Another explanation for the Star of Bethlehem is the three times passing of Jupiter and Saturn between May and December, a rare triple or great conjunction. Although this probably won't explain what the Star of Bethlehem was, these were not close enough to appear as as one object, and the fact that it happened three times makes it unlikely. We do have the two brightest planets, Jupiter and Venus, and these did pass together incredibly closely to appear as one object. And actually, most of you probably have seen Venus already with your own eyes without necessarily realising it. Uh, If you've ever seen what appears to be an incredibly bright star just after the sun has set or risen, you're probably looking at Venus. It's incredibly reflective because of all the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. But on July 17th, 2 BC, these two planets slowly descended as they got towards the horizon. They got closer and closer until finally... Uh, They drew to within a mere 0.6 of an arc minute of each other and, you know, appearing above the western horizon towards Judea. So this is probably our best candidate for what the Star of Bethlehem was. Isn't it right that we're getting a conjuncture of planets soon, James? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So on December the 21st, Jupiter and Saturn will appear the closest together that they have for the past four centuries. Um, So if you do have a chance to go out and have a look at the night sky... Um, I'd urge you to go have a look because it'll probably look quite cool. Now, it is important to remember that astronomy can tell us the position of stars and planets throughout history, but whether or not anyone actually noticed and attributed any significance to them, that's a different story. Although we can definitely theorise, we will probably never know if there was a star of Bethlehem, and if so, what caused it. And now just a quick note about a fantastic opportunity to study a fully funded PhD as part of the Smart Medical Imaging CDT based here at King's and Imperial Colleges London. I've spoken about it a little bit before because this is the PhD programme that I myself am on. It's for candidates with a strong interest and enthusiasm for medical imaging and engineering. And applications are invited from those who have degrees in relevant subjects, including mathematics, computer science, engineering, physics, chemistry, biochemistry like myself, or biology. And it's a really fantastic opportunity, this PhD programme, with a unique insight into the multidisciplinary hospital environment here in central London based at St Thomas's Hospital, with state-of-the-art labs and clinical research imaging facilities at both King's and Imperial Colleges. 
There's a choice of a large number of innovative PhD projects supervised by internationally renowned academics from King's and Imperial Colleges, or even both, with direct input from world-leading clinical academics of our NHS hospital trusts. Regular opportunities to get involved in public engagement projects just like this podcast and conferences regularly pop up, and this all contributes to a vibrant and diverse student community. There's particular emphasis on research collaboration through a PhD cohort, building interdisciplinary research training and transferable skills, which is fantastic for employability once you've finished your PhD. And this cohort approach is something that is rare to find on PhD programmes, so it's well worth considering. If you're thinking about applying for this PhD or any PhD, it's worth giving this one a look. And you can find it on findaphd.com. All you've got to do is type in EPSRC, Centre for Doctoral Training in Smart Medical Imaging, or go to the Imaging CDT website, which is www.imagingcdt, all one word, .com forward slash applications. That's www.imagingcdt.com forward slash applications. The deadline is the 18th of January. Best of luck to all of those applying. And if you have any questions, please feel free to send them to me because I'm a living example of what it's like to be on this PhD. And with all that said, let's get back to the episode. So James, I guess it's now my turn for an interesting, if not incredibly tenuous fact. Okay. (laughs) I mean, how tenuous? Uh, Incredibly. Please bear with me. So you know that my favourite day of the festive period isn't actually Christmas Day, right? And now, is that actually true, or is this just a shoehorn in some weird, wacky thing that you've thought of, Aiden? You've known me far too long, <laughs> it is completely the latter. I do have a favourite part of Boxing Day, which is the leftover sandwiches, of course. But the real reason is because two of my favourite scientists, Marie and Pierre Curie, kind of the forefathers, or foremothers, if you will, of radioactivity and radionuclide research, announced on Boxing Day in 1898, 122 years ago, the discovery of radium. Now, the interesting thing that kind of links radium (laughs) to Christmas is that it's incredibly radioactive, so it had this lovely Christmassy white glow to it. Now, did they they actually make Christmas lights out of it? Uh, No, I don't think anyone was probably bold enough to make Christmas lights out of radium, although that would be a pretty ethereal glow. And actually, Mary Curie herself did say that her and her husband were especially overjoyed at the sight of radium and the the gleaming in the darkness stirred in them a new emotion and enchantment that they'd never quite felt before. But that might have also been the side effects of radiation. I'm not quite sure. (laughs) And of course, this ethereal glow of radium we now have with Christmas lights. But it's important, of course, not to conflate the two as their origins are not intertwined at all. Now, I wonder if you can explain this to me, Aidan. No matter how well I seem to put away the Christmas lights every single year, when it comes to going up into the attic and bringing them down again on the 1st of December, no earlier, um, they always seem to be completely tangled. Is What's the explanation for that? It's interesting you say that, James, because knot formation actually has some scientific and engineering basis to it. It actually takes very little movement to create a knot. See, knots are formed when there's a loop created, and particularly when there's a, a loose end, like you know the, the plug socket of your Christmas lights or the aux cord on your earphones. When that loops around, a loop that's already formed because of rustling in your pocket or in the box that you keep your Christmas lights in, it creates a knot. So it's, it's not errant elves up to mischief in the off-season then? It's not errant elves, and it's not you being incompetent, so don't think <laughs> that. So from both of us, we want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. And Happy Holidays. Uh, We hope you get to enjoy Christmas with family or loved ones. And we look forward to releasing more podcasts in the new year. And hopefully 
next year's a little bit better than this one. Absolutely. <laughs> so that's goodbye from Aiden. Goodbye. And that's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>